0: All right, how many thank God for His Word? How many thank God for His Word? Today, we are kicking off a brand new series. I want you to open up your Bibles, if you will, or your Bible apps on your phone and join me in Mark's Gospel, Chapter 3. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 3. Over the last month, those of you who have been hanging out with us know that we have been uh, studying the life of Elijah, this uh, really significant and prominent Old Testament prophet whose uh, life we really looked at to point us back to Jesus. Every life points back to Jesus, and we've been looking at the life of Elijah to really see God's grace and goodness on display, but we think it's important as well to look specifically at the life of Jesus, to tether ourselves to his life. And so, over the next month or so, we're going to really look at the life of Jesus and all that we can learn about his rule and his reign in our lives. But there is a deeper desire. I don't want you just to have head knowledge about the rule and the reign of Jesus. We're going to get deep into that, but I want you even more importantly to grow in your affections for Jesus, to deepen in your love for Jesus. Every series we teach is to help you to know and love God more so that you can make him known and invite people into that love. As a matter of fact, my hope for my life and my hope for our church is that our lives would reflect in such a vibrant and clear way the evidence of God's love in our lives that others may see that love that we have for God, that love that we have received from God that is healed the brokenness in our own lives, that they would desire to know and love God. How many want your life to reflect God's love so clearly that your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your coworkers, the nations will want to know God more deeply? How many desire that? Amen? Amen. Now, the name of this series, I love the name of this series. It's simply entitled, Thy Kingdom Come... And subtitle, His reign in our lives. Now, maybe you've heard that line before, thy kingdom come. If you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, no doubt you've heard it before. The Lord's Prayer starts like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on from there. But that introduction is a prayer for heaven to come to earth, for heaven to come from earth. And it's a recognition of the enormous brokenness. That we live in every day as men and women traversing in a fallen world marred by sin. We see that brokenness all around us. We see it in every sector of society. We see it even in our own lives. And the promise of God is that he will fix that brokenness. That the brokenness we experience can be healed and fixed through the reign of Christ. We know he reigns in the world. What does it look like for him to reign in our lives? To put another way, why is the coming of Christ into the world, the coming of the Son of God into the world, why is it so significant? Well, you know, there are certain arrivals that change everything, that seem to change everything. Think about it for a moment, the arrival of a child into your life. I remember holding my first child in my arms and I could have retired right then. I said, I don't even know how people go back to work after this and now as they get older, I understand why people go to work, to get a little bit of break. But the reality is when that child comes, How many parents know what I'm talking about? It feels like it changes everything. For those who are married and who can remember what it was like in those early days and You going from single to married, the arrival of a spouse in your life is another one of those moments that feels like it changes everything. Maybe you're not married and you're single, you'll be able to relate to this, no doubt, that the arrival of a friend in your life. I think about friendship. I just read a book on friendship, and I think about just how uh, extraordinary of a blessing it is just to have a friend, a best friend, the arrival of Friends in your life changes everything on the sports front and this has been like the most perfect sports week if you are in Detroit that you 'll ever have so I 'm going to use some sports analogies and you 'll just have to forgive me for that, but you know just uh, I was thinking about one of the big sports stories and it 's outside of Michigan one of the big sports stories of our time is uh, happening in Colorado with uh, Deion Sanders coming as the coach of the Colorado buffaloes and 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 man, if you're in Colorado, I would imagine the arrival of this coach feels like it has changed everything. And we can talk about what's happened on the field. But even if you're not a sports fan, you're getting the peripheral story of how him showing up has changed a whole lot. But, but it's been off the field as well. The school has experienced, according to a recent report, they've experienced the highest they've ever had in donations from uh, their alumni base. They have, for the first time in 20 years, sold out season tickets. Their enrollment is higher than what it's ever been before. If you're in Colorado, it feels like, man, everything's changed. But, but as big as these arrivals are, the arrival of, a baby, the arrival of a spouse, a friend, a sports figure, Jesus' arrival eclipses them all. It is greater than them all by far. Why? Because when he shows up, heaven touches earth. God touches humanity. Healing touches brokenness. Joy touches sorrow. Sorrow. And he gives life more abundantly. And this is what God wants for each one of us. I was thinking, I was praying as we were worshiping over there, and I said, God, I wish that I could put my arm around each person that's here and just have that one-on-one talk with you to let you know how much God loves you. And that's what I want you to experience as we journey over the next several weeks through the gospel of Mark and look at the life of Jesus and how his reign brings heaven to earth. All right, kids who are filling this, uh, this sheet out so that you can go, take it to mom and dad. And here's the thing. If you're a kid in here and you fill out your sheet, mom and dad will buy you anything you want. That's the deal. That's the deal. You just take them the sheet and they got to get you whatever you ask for. Up to $5, up to $5. That's the cap. Oh, I just lost every kid in the room. I just lost every kid in the room. All right, so, so that's a big idea, that, that Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. We're, we're going to look at Mark chapter 3, but let me just give you a backdrop of this. Mark 1 and 1, he kicks it off, stating his purpose up front. He wants us to know that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. That that all of the Old Testament is predicting that the Savior King would come, who would not only restore Israel's fortunes, but restore all of our fortunes. Those who have put our faith and trust in him, that he would bring into our lives the promises of God. That every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus, that he would heal every heart that is broken. As we sang earlier, we just sang that song. How many know that the best part of every song we sing is not the harmony or the melody or the musicianship? All of that is great. But how many know the greatest part of worship is that every word of it is true? How many can say amen to that? Amen? He does heal broken hearts. So Mark starts out that way. And if Luke, the gospel of Luke is like this long professorial uh, explanation or exposition on the life the teaching and activities of Jesus, then Mark feels like a cliff notes. It's high speed. It is the highlight reel of Jesus's ministry. It goes from one climactic moment to another, and it all culminates in the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus as he conquers death and proves once and for all that all power in heaven and earth belongs to him. And if we would just trust in him, we can experience life, new life in Christ. So all of this culminates. But as we get into chapter 3, we see in verses 1 through 6, we see Jesus healing a man with a withered hand. Now, this becomes significant because a crowd begins to form. It's one of the many miracles of the ministry of Jesus. And let me say this, and I've said it before. If you've heard this, write it down uh, as a reminder. If you've never heard this before, remember this, that God throughout Scripture, in particular in the Gospels, you'll see miracles, signs, and wonders, these supernatural events and interventions of God. But never forget this that miracles set the stage for messages, that signs are for sermons, and that wonders are for the word. Miracles are for messages, signs are for sermons, wonders are for the word. Ultimately, God knows how to draw a crowd in order to tell them where real life can be found, it's in Jesus. And so this miracle is performed. This man with a withered hand is healed. But the crowd begins to love Jesus. And what happens is that the religious rulers of the day get uneasy about it. And they don't want to just unseat him. They actually want to do far worse than that. Look at verse number six. The Pharisees went out. And immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Man, that's a strong statement. They don't just want to kill him. They want to do what? Destroy him. And such is the thrust of the wicked one even in our day. He doesn't just want to kill God's word in your heart. He wants to destroy God's word in your heart. He doesn't want you to love Jesus. He wants you to have suspicions about the church. If it's not your suspicions about the motives of the church and its leadership, it's your suspicions about the word and the credibility of it all. But if Jesus is resurrected from the dead, everything else is but a footnote. Don't let all of the spectacle and the naysayers and the criticisms and the skepticism distract you from the one true message, and that is, what are you going to do about Jesus? and his lordship. Satan wants to destroy the witness of Christ in your heart, but Jesus wants to heal everything that's broken in your life. But what does it look like when Jesus comes to reign in our hearts or in our lives, when Jesus comes to be king? There's three things I want you to see today. The first thing is that we're called out from the crowd. He calls us out from the crowd. Look at verses seven through 12. It says this, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known." There's so much there that we can unpack, but let me just give you a couple of observations. Number one, I want you to see the shockwaves that happen on heaven and uh, uh, in the spirit realm and on earth among humanity at the coming or arrival of Jesus. Notice that on an earthly level, all these people begin to throng around him. They begin to clamor around him so much so that they say that if his disciples wouldn't have intervened, that he would would have been crushed by the mountain of people. Think about that. But it wasn't just the people who were going crazy for Jesus. It's the spirit realm as well. Uh, Even the unclean spirits begin to declare his lordship. Even before the people declare his lordship, the unclean spirits understand that this is God in flesh, and they begin to cry out. These unclean spirits that were afflicting people knew that the arrival of the Son of God meant that their time was up. That when Jesus shows up in our lives, that Satan is already a defeated foe. Maybe you feel like you're in the prison of sin. Maybe you feel like you're in the grip of this cycle of bad habits, bad choices that produce bad outcomes. But when Jesus shows up in your life, freedom shows up in our lives. How many thank God to whom the Son of Man is set free is free indeed, amen? But Jesus understands something, and this is really important, that not everybody in the crowd was there for him. Pastor David Platt, in his sermon on this very passage, says this, the crowd is marked by a motivation to use Jesus as a means to an end. That ultimately what the crowd was most interested in is they heard he was doing miracles and they wanted a miracle. And who doesn't want a miracle? Who doesn't want God to do something special for them, maybe in their finances, maybe in their physical body, who doesn't want a miracle. But we need to be careful to not love the blessing more than we love the blessor, to not love the miracle more than we love the miracle giver, to not want the things that God gives more than we want him. And so in verse number 13, it says this. And he went up to, uh, I'm sorry, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, that they, and they came to him. And I love this, that he goes up to this mountain. He tried to pull away to the Sea of Galilee, but hundreds of people begin to clamor from hundreds of miles away. So he couldn't pull away there. And so he goes up to the mountain and when he goes up to the mountain, he calls these 12 to him. He calls them out from the crowd. Three times in verses 7 through 12, you hear this group referred to as the crowd. Those who were masses of people with mixed motivations. But how do we know that his ruling reign? Has happened and taken root in our lives, it's when we go from just being part of the crowd to being part of the called. And he called these group of what we call disciples out from the crowd, and he's calling some of us to be his disciples as well. To go from loving just what he gives to loving him enough to want to commune with him and, and obey him. And today I want to encourage you to love him. You know, um, there's a part of me that feels like I need to apologize for every preacher of of my generation because so often the message that you've heard preach is come to Jesus and you'll get something. Come to Jesus and he will fix your marriage. Come to Jesus and he will help you to lead better. Come to Jesus and I don't know, you'll lose 50 pounds and your hair will grow back. I don't know what you were promised. But, but it seems like every sermon comes along with, come to Jesus and you'll get something. But what if I told you that the great payoff of coming to Jesus was Jesus? Amen. That the greatest thing about Jesus is Him. That knowing Him and loving Him is the greatest thing in life. And I will tell you that if you don't love Jesus, if you don't grow in your affections for him, terrible, uh, uh, heaven, rather, is going to be a pretty terrible place. It's going to be a pretty unhappy place. Because the centerpiece of heaven is Jesus. And one of the great ways that we know that we're growing in our affections and love for Jesus is the time we want to spend with him. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I will tell you, One of the hardest things for those of us who serve Jesus in a local church capacity is distinguishing between our love for ministry and our love for Jesus. But there's a difference. And we're gonna see as we go further in this passage that he distinguishes between intimacy and ministry, and we need to make that distinction. But for now, I want you to ask yourself this question, what crowds is he calling me from? There's there's some crowds that he's calling you to separate from. I'll I'll just mention a couple of crowds that he will call us to separate from. The cultural crowd, that, that when you are called to follow Jesus, you don't relate to him like culture relates to him. Culture relates to Jesus this way, that I want the things you give, but I don't want to obey the things you say. But to love him is to obey him. Jesus put it this way, if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. And one of the ways you know that you have become one of his disciples is when you say yes and amen to the things that he commands. And I pray that that will be your next step. If you have not done that yet, if you've not begun to study his words so that you can know what he commands greater. I pray that that will increase in your heart and that you will find yourself saying yes and amen because how many who have been following him can uh, agree with me that his words are the words of eternal life? How many agree with that? How many have experienced that? Amen. If you want to know truth and you want to know freedom and you want to know joy and you want to know salvation, then know and obey his Word. He'll call us from the crowd of culture, but he'll also call us from the crowd of casual Christianity. Casual Christianity looks like maybe going to church on Sunday, but not surrendering our lives to him. I remember talking to a Muslim once about the difference between the way Christians and Muslims often see God. And the the way he demonstrated it for me is he uh, drew a circle and he put a dot in the middle of the circle. And he says so often for Christians, in particular casual Christians, the dot in the middle of the circle is God, and the rest of the circle is our lives. And we have so much going on in our lives, and God is just one dot, But but he said for him and for many within his faith, the dot represents us and God represents the circle. I pray that that inversion will happen for you. I pray that God would not just be a dot in an otherwise busy life, but that God would be life and that we would find ourselves in him. Scripture puts it this way, that it's in him that we live, we move, and we have our being. That we should be orienting our lives, not around our jobs primarily, not around our hobbies, not around our pleasures, but we should be orienting our lives around him. So in a season like this, where you hear me or the rest of our team talking about groups or or classes, these invitations to go deeper in relationship with him, that your heart would say Lord, here am I, use me, I wanna know you, amen? Scripture doesn't stop there, it goes on to give us a second thing that happens in our lives when he, when his reign comes, and that is that we spend time with Jesus. We spend time with Jesus. Look at verse number 14, it says, this is such a sweet verse, look at what it says. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. Stop there for a moment. Isn't that sweet? That he called 12 so that they might be with him. Again, so much to say about this. And it's not that serving him isn't important. We're going to get to serving him in just a moment. But I do want you to never get it twisted. Intimacy should always precede ministry. That before he wants you to serve him, he wants you to spend time with him that he doesn't want a transactional relationship with us. And this is the type of world that we live in. Many of us, I remember hearing uh, a a talk to college students about hookup culture and and that hookup culture sexually that's pervasive on so many college campuses. But it was a talk to the parents of college students as well as college students themselves. And it was a warning to parents, be careful because a lot of us are training our kids' hearts for hookup culture, because we're so transactional with them and not teaching them and training them for intimacy. What it's like to just cut off a TV and spend time together. Training their hearts instead of relationships, they just simply have transactional interaction with people. And when that's the case, brokenness always follows, God doesn't want us to have transactional relationships on a horizontal level or a vertical level. Recently, I read a study that was produced by the Whitley Institute, which is a a division of BYU, Brigham Young University, and it was a study on marriage, and it showed the difference in the level of health and commitment between marriages that practice date nights and those that didn't practice date nights. Now, I'm going to get some guys in trouble, and I want to apologize on the front end. But it said that 73% of wives and 75% of husbands in marriages that practice date nights communicate that they are very committed to their marriage versus 53% of wives and 57% of husbands who are in marriages that don't practice date nights. Now, I'm not saying this to be condemning at all. Listen, me and my wife, our lives are full. Between work and five children, it can easily become, hey, did you pay the bills today? Who cooked dinner today? Who's gonna drop off this one? Who's gonna pick up that one? And the next thing you know, if you're not careful, you'll become business partners instead of experience the full joy of marriage. A few weekends ago, my wife and I were able to to get away and we just went and did something we enjoy with friends. We went to a jazz concert and we just had a really, really good time. And that may not sound deep or spiritual, but we looked at each other and said, this is exactly what we needed. In the midst of the busyness, In all the transactions of life, it is easy to become ships passing in the night and not even know where one another's hearts are, but we needed a date night. I bring this up to say that Jesus communicates intimacy Before he mentions ministry, he's going to go into ministry in just a moment, but before he gets there, it says that he called 12, that he named apostles so that they might be with him. That's what he wants for you and me. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to spend time just praying so that we can enjoy his presence, reading the Bible so that we can just learn more about him sitting quietly so that we can hear that still small voice as he speaks his truth into our hearts, healing, restoring, and giving guidance. He wants to spend time with you. And that may feel scary for some. In particular, if you've been raised in a generation, if you're 40 or younger, and you've been raised in a generation that knows very little about intimacy, that, be, that, that may sound scary, But I will tell you, in the silence is where the healing happens. Listening for the voice of the Lord. He speaks, and he wants to speak to you and to me. And sometimes that means we got to cut off the noise. And sometimes that means it just, he just wants to be with us. Well, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that out of being with us, out of intimacy does come ministry. And the last point I wanna to give to you is that when his reign comes in our lives, he gives authority to minister. He gives us authority to minister. And look at what it says in verse, the rest of verse number 14. It says, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He sends them out after they spend time with him. In other words, what compels us to go out, according to the Apostle Paul, he says, I am compelled by the love of Christ. We are compelled by the love of Christ because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all have died, and we should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and is raised. He says, we've experienced fellowship with him and the love of God so overflows in our hearts that we want others to experience that love. And when that is you, when you have been so touched by the love of God that you are motivated to go out and share that love with someone else, then are you ready? And he says that he will give you the authorization. In other words, he'll give you the grace you need to minister on his behalf. And I know that there are people who are hard cases. There are places that are hard places, and we just sometimes will think that person will never come to faith in Christ. They'll never change. But how many in here by the show of hands was a hard case, but God got a hold of you? right? You weren't easy. You were mean. You were a doubter. You were a skeptic. You were a critic, but God got a hold of your heart. I want you to start practicing this statement. If God can save me, he can save anybody. How many believe that? That if God can save you, he can save anybody. Paul declared himself to be the worst of sinners. And I don't know, I feel like I've competed with him. And maybe you do do as well. But if God can save the worst of sinners in us, how many know that he can do it for our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, and our family members, amen? Amen. Now, I wanna end with this, but this is really important. I know it says in here that he called them to preach, and so often when you think of preaching, you think of what I'm doing right now, and you may say, well, I'm not a preacher, but this word simply means to proclaim the good news of Jesus to another. I love what uh, Spurgeon said, this great preacher of old. He says that all preaching is, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. How many can tell somebody about what Jesus has done for you? How many can tell somebody about how he's changed your life? how he's brought joy to your life, how he's brought peace to your life. I pray that you've experienced that because if you have, then out of the overflow of that, you can share that with somebody. It's not your job to convert one person. That's not our job. Our job is just to testify about Jesus and how many know that God does the converting. Amen? Everybody stand. Everybody stand. I could go on further and just tell you how the passage names each one of those disciples by name. And I want you to know that he knows each one of us by name as well. And maybe you're in this place. There's two groups of people in this place. Those who have come to know the love of Christ and you've put your trust in him. And I pray that your response to this message would be to say, Lord, who is it that I can share your love with? But then there's those who have not come to know the love of Christ yet. And I pray that today you would, that today you would know his grace and his love. I call you to respond to the gospel. Don't just hear it, but respond to it and say, I need today to give my heart and my life to Jesus.